Welcome to Triangle 411, the pulse that moves the Triangle world today. It's a vibrant collection of stories, medical breakthroughs, what's trending, social good, events, and boundless other adventures. A conversation pit of comedians, authors, chefs, sports figures, experts, the common and the uncommon. Here's the host of Triangle 411, Mary Innsbrucker. Hi, friends. In the United States, approximately 35% of people use a financial planner. According to Merle Lynch, here are the top five reasons folks use financial advisors. Number one, pretty obvious, <laughs> starting a family. And it is no wonder when you consider the average cost of raising a child not not including college tuition, comes to approximately $310,000 for the first 17 years alone. That's according to Bookings Analysis of Government Figures. The second reason is buying or selling a home. Financial decisions don't get much more intense than that. Number three. Beginning or ending a relationship. Milestones that can call for careful planning. Number four, receiving an inheritance or other windfall. You will want to put that money to work for you towards achieving financial independence. And number five, you guessed it, retirement. No one wants to outlive their money. <laughs> And this isn't just a concern for, for uh, seniors. This is a concern even for the youth without pensions these days and with the threat of Social Security possibly being gone by the time they're eligible for it. Uh, this retirement money, it's a, it's a big issue. So how does this financial advisor thing work? Well, with us today is Michael Lewis. Michael started on Wall Street after graduating from Duke University. Over Michael's career, he learned how Wall Street really works from the inside, assisting international banks such as BNY Mellon and institutional fund managers such as SEI Investments, to manage risk and improve returns using technology. Today, his company, Tudor Financial Advisors, reflects the importance that education plays in financial planning. Tudor, Tudor Financial Advisors uses the science of behavioral finance to help clients across industry segments to empower themselves through understanding their views on money. Let's learn about behavioral finance with Michael now. Welcome, Michael. Well, thank you, Mary. Thank you for having us. I'm looking forward to this conversation. And so are we. And we're going to start with the, the question of why you started Tudor Financial Advisors. Well, that's a great question. Um, I spent most of my career on Wall Street working with um, 
institutional investors and money managers deal with risk. And we wanted to give back to the ordinary investor. And my wife and I decided to move down to North Carolina to start our practice. And one of the things that was really important to us is our family was affected by addiction and we wanted to give back to the community that really helped us uh, at the time that we were going through this uh, addiction treatment was relatively new, I would say. And we were reliant on a lot of professionals to, uh, you know, help guide us through the process. And this was our way of giving back to them. Uh, they're generally very selfless people. Uh, they're also uh, less trusting of people outside the environment. So uh, we decided to set up our practice in order to help them uh, move forward uh, and never have to be a burden to their family. So we are dealing with families and professionals who help families that are going through addiction. That's absolutely wonderful. That's, that's certainly a different take on things. So that's wonderful. Now, let me ask you this. I understand behavioral modifications and attitudes are impacting investment strategies, savings, and spending patterns. So what is behavioral finance? So uh, behavioral finance is understanding people's relationship with money. And it's a relatively new field. Um, We were fascinated by it very early on because if you think about Uh, people who are going through recovery, what is the major lesson that people teach them in order to, you know, successfully navigate their road to recovery? And it's about behavioral modification, right? It's learning about triggers, things that, uh, you know, and situations that make people feel uncomfortable and in return end up making less than optimal decisions for themselves. Well, the same is true for finance, right? Uh, most of us, our behaviors and attitudes towards finance were shaped very early on, uh, usually, uh, you know, parental motivated. I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, if you have somebody who comes from a broken family and maybe the husband and their mother and father got divorced because they see themselves arguing over money all the time. Well, what, <clears throat> what we've seen happen is the uh, the sibling, as a response to seeing their family break up over money, have an unhealthy relationship where they just basically reject any accumulation of money. So any success that they might have that has a financial consequence to it, they may be looking at this and saying, wow, you know, look at all this money I have. I saw what it did to my parents. I have to get rid of it. So they spend it in a very uh, unproductive way. They may self-sacrifice their career because they feel that if they're making too much money, they're likely to uh, jeopardize their relationship with their spouse. Uh, And these are all behaviors that they may even be uh, given uh, a little bit of, uh, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought here for a second, but they're doing behaviors that aren't constructive for either one of them. So part of what we do in in advisory is not only deal with developing plans, but also looking at behaviors and changing behaviors in order to help them achieve goals. And how do you do that? So one of the first things we do in our program is we have a questionnaire that we give 
our clients, it helps them understand their relationship with money, both their strengths and their blind spots. Now, for married couples, and we've seen this a lot, uh, married couples tend to have very interesting conversations with each other when it comes to finances. Uh, either it's one person speaks and the other one ignores, or it's a fighting contest. And what we found, and th this uh, questionnaire really helps, is that uh, each spouse now has an appreciation not only for what their strengths and weaknesses are, but what their spouse brings to the table. And it's often very much complementary versus additive. Uh, I have found more times than not that one person's strength is another person's blind spot. But when they become aware of it, uh, it gives them a deeper appreciation for what the other person brings. But more importantly, as an advisor, when I'm dealing with families, uh, I find that you know, if you talk one way and one way only, maybe one person in the relationship nods their head and they go, yeah, yeah, I get it. And the other person feels like they're not being talked to at all. So by me understanding how people listen when it comes to money, it helps me guide the conversation. So in, in some ways, uh, not only are we financial advisors, but uh, we're financial marriage counselors. <laughs> I hope you get paid extra for that. <laughs> I, it, you know, it's funny that you asked that, but uh, unlike other advisors, that's all part and parcel for our cause. This is how we differentiate ourselves from, mm -hmm. I think, the other advisors is we go that extra step. Mm -hmm. uh, and we do the things that you just mentioned, and it's all included in, in our service. And and I do see that differentiation uh, from everything we're talking about right now. Um, so let me ask you this, and I'm taking this quote, um, you say Tudor's mission is to assist families to cement their legacy and transition wealth to future generations in a tax efficient manner. Can you give us maybe three examples of a tax efficient manner? So compliance might have an issue with me giving too much specifics. Okay. Uh, but let's, let's, let's not go to jail today here, Michael. Efficiency. You know, for especially for people that are going in, in recovery and dealing with people in recovery is so important. Um, and we had to learn this firsthand because we have a child that's in recovery and we had to alter our estate plan in order to allow for us to leave finances to an individual, uh, but also make sure that it isn't a trigger. Right. And it is a uh, uh, not only not a trigger, but it's money given uh, with our intent. And so we discovered uh, about the use of trust as an example. And trusts allow for uh, skipping probate, which is a big deal, right? So that means the funds are immediately available upon the death. But you also control the way the funds are dispersed to the individual, which will have an impact on their, on their tax abilities. Uh, other avenues of leaving money to people is using life insurance. Uh, life insurance is probably one of the only real good investments that uh, you can make that can that convey to the uh, beneficiary in a tax-free way. And so some people might use, uh, you know, life insurance to fund a trust that uh, later on can be used, uh, you know, for the uh, aforementioned uh, activities that we discussed, right? So, uh, you know, when, when we're trying to do tax aware 
I mean, basically, there are tax-deferred strategies, right? There are tax-free strategies, and then there are taxable strategies. Each one of them have their purposes. Uh, when we're dealing with people who are approaching retirement, it's important that they don't become, um, I'll, I'll say, retirement uh, uh, you know, it debt. You know, you you hear people all the time, and they talk about when you're on your house, right? That you don't want to be house poor. You can have the same issue with retirement poor, right? You're saving all this money for retirement. If you do it in a tax deferred way, you've just kicked the tax bill down the road. Uh, and you know, there are opportunities. You know, specifically this what's called the Roth uh, IRA or 401k which allows you to save after-tax dollars, and then all the monies are then um, withdrawn tax-free. The important thing, you know, when we do this kind of planning is that we have to look at basically the entirety, you know, a holistic approach to what you're doing. It's very difficult to make uh, any kind of tax recommendation, right, without knowing exactly what the whole situation is and who we're, you know, trying to, provide for, whether it be a loved one or, uh, you know, a, a benefit, a, a charity, for an example. And so, uh, you know, we look at as being your financial advisor, we're like your financial quarterback. Uh, we do rely on working with other professionals in, in your team. So an estate attorney, we think, is a, a critical person to have. Obviously, an accountant is another critical person to have. Uh, as an advisor, uh, we are all aware of the tax ramifications of the investments, but we're not, certainly I'll speak for myself, I'm not geared towards producing legal documents or giving specific tax advice. Um, but most people who are dealing with a professional accountant or an estate attorney may not know the right questions to ask. And that's where having a good financial advisor makes the process more efficient. And ultimately, you're going to spend less because you're spending less time with people who are billing you by the hour. Hmm. Okay. That makes sense. That's a good way to go. And um, let me ask a, maybe a more general question then so neither one of us go to jail about the whole tax <laughs> thing. Um, any thoughts, maybe top three or five steps to securing a financial future that doesn't involve the, the, the tax muddy waters? Well, well so the first thing that we totally recommend is um, you got to start saving for uh, for retirement today. A uh, lot of people that I talk to, they always say, I'll get to it later. Uh, you know, the people in, in our community that we work with, they're very selfless people. They're always putting their clients ahead of themselves. And before you know it, um, you lose the opportunity to, you know, save enough and you become a burden. So always start early, even if it's a small amount, you want to start building those habits. I mean, even I remember working as our son, we started in investing, and we Michael, Michael, I'm hearing. Wait a second, we're going to have to redo here. I'm hearing like a, like an alarm or something. Hello, Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Did you hear that beeping? It was like an alarm I did or something. Hear it. Was that my side or your side? Do we need to start that segment over again? Yeah, let's start that segment over again. Hold on. Let me reintroduce. Um, okay, hold on. Okay. 
So I'll go back to, uh, so we're going to get into the five steps. So let me reintroduce. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. So then aside from the tax muddy water, so neither of us go to jail, let's talk about some maybe three to five steps that are general to securing a financial future? Great question. So the first question, the first answer is get started as early as possible, right? Uh, Some people will sit there and they'll say, uh, I I don't have enough money right now. I'll wait until I'm, I'm, you know, better financially before I start saving for my future. Uh, We are always talking about habits. So creating a habit, even if it's only putting in $100 a week, right? Just getting into the habit of doing it. And by the way, not only for retirement, that kind of habit is really helpful for philanthropic activities too. A lot of people don't like planning for gifting, let's say, uh, charitable work. I can't afford it right now. Well, the reality of it is as you make more money, if you don't build that habit up to begin with, you end up generally not making up for lost time. So habit building at an early age is is key. The second thing that I think is really important is knowing your numbers. Um, A lot of times when we work with people and we ask them what their monthly budget is on, on expenses, they haven't a clue. They haven't thought about it. Uh, and when you go through the budgeting process, uh, it is important that your budget is based on reality, not on what you think it is or what a rule of thumb is. So we spend a lot of time on making sure that you know your numbers. Uh, We think of our clients as businesses. So we look at their balance sheet, we look at their income statement, we look at their cash flow. And if they don't know their numbers, uh, you know, it's very hard for you to make rational decisions when when you don't know, you know, what does it cost for you to live? So that that we think is incredibly important. The third thing I would say, and this is geared to people who are in the work field, is make sure you know what benefits are available to you through your company. Uh, there are often 401ks available, but some people don't ask, for example, do you have a Roth option? which is a tax-free option. So you, you want to make sure that you ask companies what, what do you provide. Uh, and the fourth piece of advice is no matter where you are in life, uh, make sure you surround yourself with uh, people that have your best interests at heart. We talk often about having a, a proper financial team, um, the accountant, the lawyers, and you may not need them all at once, but, you know, I will speak for myself when it, and I consider myself pretty good with numbers, but I know my limitations, right? And the first thing that my wife and I did is make sure we had a really good accountant. Um, and early on, our, our accounting needs were not that complicated, but at some point we ended up moving to Canada and it got more complicated and having that person in your corner, uh, working with you is important. The last thing I would add is if you want to be financially successful, uh, live within your means. Uh, This is not a race. The idea of um, just accumulating wealth for the sake of accumulating wealth is not a plan. Uh, Wealth is a way of uh, accomplishing things in life. 
And so your focus ought to be on, on the quality of life you want, the things that you want to accomplish. Your advisor will help you understand the cost of trying to accomplish that. Um, but you need to think about your dreams. That's what powers everything else that you do. And the other, and the last thing I would I would say is, uh, people who go through a plan and they get they're presented with this fancy document as if it's now written in stone like the Ten Commandments, it's not. Um, life happens all the time. You get married, you have children. They get married, you have grandchildren. Sometimes, uh, you know, bad things happen. You get injured, you lose your job. All of these things are going to in, impact your plan. Having a plan gives you the, the the kind of the guardrails of what you're doing, but you still need to adjust. Uh, so never think that just because you went through the exercise, you'd never have to go through it again. It is an ongoing process. Uh, and I will also add, and this is something important to us, and this is why we called our company Tudor Financial, education is key. Uh, one of the things that we really hate is when someone comes to us and goes, look, just tell us what to do and we'll do whatever you say. That's not doing yourself any good. Uh, you are overly reliant on somebody else making decisions for you. At Tudor, we believe education is, is important. It makes you a better consumer. We're not trying to teach you how to be an MBA or how to be a financial analyst, but what we are trying to do is make you a better consumer so that when you are considering alternatives, you know the right questions to ask and you know how to evaluate whether or not a, a specific solution is really in your best interest. Well, this has just been so informational. Michael, Tudor Financial Advisors, thank you so much for being with us today and passing on this uh, life-changing advice for some. Well, our pleasure. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to speak. Well, Michael was so, so helpful. And it's time to say high five and goodbye. I'm Mary Innsbrucker for Triangle 411. Today's pocket, spread kindness.